church look awesome and diverse. And after last year, what the ladies pulled on all of y'all, I realized I was away for vacation, so I was sure to be here today, so there's none of that foolish, no, I'm just joking. Uh, I'm just grateful they didn't have that in big and tall, so I can't wear that shirt. But all of your shirts look wonderful and diverse, and that's, that's a gift to all of us today. I did hear a story of a dad who double-checked with his wife. This isn't, this isn't the same shirt everybody will be wearing today, right? And I just love that. Uh, so I thought we would get to know each other a little bit. So, for example, I would love to know who the newest dad is here. So we're going to do it this way. If you are a dad of a child under the age of one, would you stand? Under the age of one. Yeah. Well, congratulations. There's, there's a $50 Amazon gift card for you. All right. Yeah. Now dads are paying attention to what I'm saying. Yeah. Chris knows. Chris knows. All right. How about this one? If you're a dad with more than one child and they are all girls, would you stand? Girl dads. Oh, all right. I see two girl dads. Three. Three. Look at four. All right. Let me just scan. Yep. Four. All right. This is apparently the anointed side of the room for girl dads. Um, all right. So how many? Let's see. Uh, how many? Two. All right. I know you're going to be gone. So, Jim, I love you, uh, but you're gone. All right. Let's see here. Sonny? Yeah, you also sit down? Two? Uh, Jeremy. So I knew this was a possibility, and in all candor, Jeremy's one of our deacons, and I thought he was out of town. And I was going to say, you have to be present to win, and he's present, so he wins. All right. So... <laughs> How about, how about the young men's edition? If you are a dad of all boys, would you stand? More than one child, all boys. Eric, all right, Chris, all right, Jordan, all right, so let, let's, let's do the count. So Eric, two, I know that, oh, Justin, all right, two, all right, y'all are, y'all are gone. Uh, let's see here. Four. Jordan, yeah, Chris wins it, yeah, nicely done, well done. See, now you know how to pray for these dads as you learn their story, right? Now you know how to pray for them. So how about this one? This one's going to require a little bit of thinking on your part, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing that to you on Father's Day, but how about this? Take the age of each of your children, check with your wives, and total it up. And let's see what the largest cumulative total of your children's age is. So, for example, I have three children. The cumulative age of my children is 56. And I realized that's why I feel the way I do. That's why I feel the way I do. All right, so check with your wives, see what it is, and here's where we're going to start. If the cumulative age of your children is over 100, stand. Remember, I said the cumulative age of my children is 56. Oh, look at this. I hope that means there's some wisdom in the house today. But I know some of these men. That's why I hope. All right, how about this? If the cumulative age of your children is over 125, you can stay standing if it's... Okay, all right, so we lost some there. All right, how about this? If it's under 150, be seated. All right, look at this. This is like the anniversary dance at a wedding reception, isn't it? It's like, look at, look at these guys. Look at them still standing. 
All right, how about this? So I was at 150. How about this? 175. Come on now. Thank you all for still being able to stand. I see you, Kurt. I see that hand in the booth. All right, all right. So we were at 175. All right, let's, let's just break, break it down a little bit more. So 180. All right. These are some strong dads. Prim, you still doing the math? <laughs> Times 15. Times 15. All right. So uh, let's see here. So 180. How about 185? Now I feel like I'm on the prices right. Is it over or under? All right. How about 190? Gentlemen, praise God for you. 200? 225? All right, Kurt. Kurt, thank you for, you're still calculating, is your phone smoking yet? All right, so 225, 250? Come on now. Two, y'all, this is beyond even what I thought this was going to do. 275. All right, we lost one. Prim, we rejoice in you, brother. Congratulations. I don't want to distract anybody, but I do want to inform you how to pray during the sermon. Uh, we have axe throwing that will be set up for the dads during the service. That will be outside. Uh, pray that the weather holds. Uh, so we do have axe throwing. They're, it's a safe event. Uh, they're going to come out and set it up. Uh, the, the company that we hired to do this, we just wanted to be able to celebrate dads today and have a wonderful time uh, rejoicing in the dads that God has provided this church. Uh, what a wonderful day to be together. But more than that, what a wonderful day to turn to God's Word and to learn a little bit more about fatherhood. And you know, like Mother's Day, Father's Day can be a, a tricky holiday for some. Bringing up past or maybe even a current and present hurt. But regardless of how wonderful your birth father is or isn't, here's the truth of today for all of us. We have a heavenly father who extravagantly loves. He's not a type of father. He is the type of father that all others should be measured against. He's, as James 1.5 tells us, he's the father that you can approach at any time. He, according to Romans 10, is the one who shows no favoritism. He is a perfect heavenly father. Throughout scripture, the testimony of scripture constantly repeats this refrain that he will never leave or abandon his children. That's good news. That's good news for all of us today. That, that honestly helps me on days like today when I am missing my own <clears throat> earthly father. <clears throat> this message is not me processing that, I promise. He is experiencing a perfect Father's Day. And that gives me hope and comfort. But there are days that I feel like I don't measure up to the man that he was. Perhaps you have that experience as a father as well. You wonder, how, how do I train the generation of men in my house when I already don't feel like enough? How is it that we're supposed to go about that? And I don't, I don't think I'm alone in that feeling or that sense today, but in thinking about dad experiencing a perfect Father's Day, I realize that because of Christ's work on our behalf, we can all experience the blessing, the overflow, the outpouring of a perfect Father's Day every day of our life. We have a perfect father, and he doesn't wait for once a year. He doesn't wait for these moments to 
extravagantly pour out his love to us. He doesn't wait for times for us to to look to him. He doesn't wait for times for us to get to this point of desperation. He is always pouring out his perfect love toward us. You know, that's what's so marvelous about what we just studied in the book of Galatians. As we were learning about the doctrine of adoption, the truth of our sonship as co-heirs with Jesus Christ, that's what's so wonderful and mind-blowing about that, is that we have a perfect heavenly Father. Maybe this morning it's, it's a helpful place for me to start with this question. What did your dad, what did your father teach you in this life? What was maybe something unique about what he taught you in this life? I, I knew that I was going to ask this question, so I had a little bit of time to give it some thought. And I realized last Thanksgiving when we were gathered around the table, we acknowledged his first Thanksgiving not with us. He was the first to laugh and he was the first to cry. I never realized my dad was training me emotionally in that kind of way. I would, not have, I would not have said that he was an overly or underly emotional dad. It just wasn't kind of the way you would normally think of him. But he was training us in those moments. My dad was able to find joy in almost any circumstance in life. Picking a moment to just be able to say, like, you can find something to laugh at, even if it's yourself in the midst of this moment. And he trained me in that. So what, what maybe did your father train you? And you may say, well, my father wasn't around. Here, here's the reality of that statement. Your father was training you about something in that as well. And yet again, we see the perfect love of our Heavenly Father. He will never leave. He will never forsake. What a day. What a day to be together. You know, for some, it might be easier to answer that question, what did your father teach you than others? depending on what type of dad you had growing up. Fathers may not even see themselves as being the ones who are teaching their kids very many things, but children learn by observing and being part of an environment. So what kind of environment might you have grown up in? You might have grown up in a football family. There was a certain team that it was the only team acceptable to root for. Maybe you were a, a family where the dad worked on cars or there was hunting involved and an obsession with a certain hobby, and you learned from him. Not always in some kind of formal teaching, but through observation and, and immersion in that environment. But we realize today that fathers themselves may struggle with being role models, even though we know that our children will learn from us, especially in the things that we're most passionate about. So where do we turn? Where do we turn? Well, I hope you're already there. Psalm 78. Let's read together. Give ear, O my people. To my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. And appointed a law in Israel which commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and, and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn 
and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Father, we pray today, as we look to your word, that we would see you, that we would encounter you yet again. Lord, we thank you for wonderful moments in worship where we are already being ministered to by your Holy Spirit, calling us to this place of joy. But Father, we find ourselves desperate for you today, not only as fathers, but Lord, help us to realize this is a word to your church, men and women alike, single, married, fathers alike. Lord, today... Have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 78, the psalmist is very simply reminding us of this. Fathers are called by God to teach his children in the way of the Lord. What are you training your children in this morning, fathers? What what example are you setting for the generations to come behind you? Notice here that there is a a lengthy psalm. We're only taking a portion of it. We're going to come back around to this psalm in our Summer in the Psalms series. But Asaph sets the stage by talking to his own generation. In this room, there are multiple generations represented. What a gift from God for us as a church. But there are at least four generations implied in in the opening verses of this passage. There's this call to incline our ear. Perhaps you're here this morning and in the sense of fatherhood, it just fit you. It was, it was like you were designed to be a dad. You have it all together. You're, you're the dad that all the, your kids' friends come to for advice in those moments. Maybe you're here and fatherhood was a surprise to you and it didn't fit your plans for your life at all. But know this, your heavenly father knows exactly where you're at because he is the one who made you for the calling, the responsibilities, and the joys of fatherhood. I find myself in a season of life as I seek to serve my mother following dad's passing as what I would call a conduit between generations. I'm seeking to serve her, but there are generational considerations between uh, mom, myself, and Stephanie and my kids. And, And I'm just a conduit of those things between mom and dad and my children. You know, seasons in life change like that. Moments will kind of be rushed upon you whether you're a dad or not. Perhaps you're here and you're single. Perhaps you're here and you're married. There are seasons that will come on like a rushing wind and all of a sudden just kind of be in your life and you almost don't even realize it until you pause for a moment and look back and just realize something significant has changed. We walk through seasons like that. And yet in the midst of those seasons, in the midst of those changes, and when we need to remember that we were created by God as fathers to proclaim the truth of the goodness of God. We need to remember that because we can get so caught up in everything else, can't we? It's easy to become distracted by the things of life. You know, speaking of seasons changing, this is not something that's exclusive to me or even just the men in the church, but I think it's an appropriate time to share that there is a season changing for the men's ministry here in the church. We don't have everything perfectly figured out, but I think it's appropriate for us this morning to, one, honor and thank Eddie Needham for years of investing in the men in this church. (laughs) 
Eddie's season of life is changing. Eddie's a grandpa now. Eddie's a, a physician as well. Eddie's far more than all of that. If you want to know more about Eddie, ask him about his favorite seashell. But his season is changing, which means that there's a season changing for us as a church. Please pray with us, church, as we continue to consider the best way to serve the men here in this congregation. But that means that there's going to be a change coming where our normal Saturday morning gatherings will end after the month of July. There's comfort in the midst of that because our call doesn't change to tell generations about the goodness of God, the works of His hand, His salvation. But the way that we go about that is coming to a change. You know, Psalm 78 is a reminder for fathers that we're called to lead our children to both know and trust in God. We're a conduit of truth, not just generational planning, not just financial planning. We need God's help in this, don't we? And for me, that leads me to pray. I pray specifically for my boys to be the men that God has created them to be and for my little girl to be the woman that God has created her to be. I pray for their future spouses. That's the season that we're in in our home. But our prayers don't stop there for me and Stephanie. Pray for the gospel to be passed on. I pray for the passion of the things of God to be passed on through my children to their children and then to their grandchildren and beyond. Why? Because praying like that changes the way that we parent. It reorders our priorities, the things that we find ourselves focusing on. And we, when, we, when we get to the place where we're asking the question, what can I do to pass on the gospel of God's grace and God's greatness to future generations? It begins to reorder the way that we focus on things. It begins to reorder the things that we give our time to. But this is not just a word to fathers today. Yes, we're focused on them intentionally because of the day. This passage specifically addresses them. But Scripture would testify to this. God has given His church the responsibility for passing the gospel on to the next generation. And all of us, each one of you seated in this auditorium today, each one of you has a part to play in that. There's no one unimportant in this task. It, it's a responsibility for each one of us. So God created you to be fathers. God created you to be those who tell the generation to come. We saw this so vividly last week through VBS. What a wonderful way to do that. But you know our children are watching outside of that week every year. What are you passionate about the other 51 weeks of the year? Not only God, did God create you, but God is for you in the midst of this call. For the fathers here today, you're not left alone to figure it out for yourself. God instructs us, and this psalm gives us a glimpse at what we're called to, not only to learn for ourselves, but then to pass along to others as well. Consider the verses where it says this, I will open my mouth, mouth in a parable. Verse 2, I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known. We will not hide them from our children, but we will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. I love that in the verse 6 it says this, arise and tell. Darren and I were talking about this after the, the ministry time this morning. Arise and tell. Notice that the, the instruction to dads is not simply this. Tell them about it. 
And if they forget, tell them again. No, it, it actually is telling you as a dad. It's telling you as individuals today that there is this rising up within you. What is that? Well, I think that's a filling of the Spirit. I think that's a standing, not in our own strength, but in the strength that God provides. Arise and tell. Ministry this morning was specifically related to joy. Arise and tell what it is that God is calling you to set aside so that you can receive the joy that he is calling you into. In other words, it's not just this kind of intellectual passing on of knowledge. It's an experiential well, how is it that we've seen the wonders of God? How is it that we've seen the might of His hand, the glories of His deeds? Arise and tell. Not just simply passing along knowledge, but passing along the experiences that you've had with Him. Tell the next generation who God is. Tell your children that everything begins and ends with God. He's our creator. He's the sustainer. He's the ruler of all. He is the one who is alone, supreme over all things. Don't just teach convenient rules to obey and religious rituals to follow, life skills to know. Teach them about God. Teach them what God has done. The last part of verse 4 mentions the wondrous works that he has performed. And the rest of this psalm in, in the many verses to come, and like I said, we're going to come back to it in our summer in the Psalms series. It talks about the plagues, God's provision of manna, the quail from the sky, the rest of God's faithful and powerful provisions for his people from generation to generation. You know, you may not be able to say like every morning, son, when I would get up, there would be bread out on the lawn. But you can testify of his provision. You, you may not be able to say, like, you'll never believe I had this road rage incident, and then the power of God swept that driver right out of my way. Smite him. <laughs> but you will be able to tell of his glorious victories in your life. Notice that what you're seeking to do is experience these things for yourself. And then tell others about it. Don't lean on others' experiences in this. Get on your knees. Get on your face before God. And encounter Him again. We need to teach the generation what God has said. The psalmist mentions in verse 5, God's holy law and His commands. In other words, we're going to make this book the center of our life's instruction. It's going to be the thing that reigns over all other things. It's, it's, it's going to be what we submit ourselves to before any other authority. It's going to be what drives the instruction of our home. In other words, it's not just that the instruction flows from it, but the way that we think about life filters through it. It becomes the very center of who we are. It helps bring us back in and it reigns us in and it releases us to the things that God has created us for. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never do so. From generation to generation, God's word will never fade. Let's make a commitment in our homes that our house will not see the word of the Lord fade. It's a rock that our children and their children and their children can stand on for eternity. So God made you, God's for you, and God is here to help. God is here to help you. Next Sunday, Shane Kahoot 
is going to kick off our Summer in the Psalm series. I'm so excited for this series. He's going to preach two messages, and then Seth Greer is going to preach July 9th. And as I said, we're going to come back to this psalm, but can we just acknowledge that if we read the full breadth of what this psalm calls us to, it it looks at the foundational stories of God's people. A couple of weeks ago during VBS, I was able to teach a class each night, and one of the nights we started in with the Shema, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. It's this beautiful passage. It was recited twice a day. And it was said at the end of that that you were to tell this to your children so that they could tell their children. You, you see that generations telling each other has been part of God's plan all along. That's not just some new revelation for today. This is actually something deeply rooted in God's created order for us in the church, in our homes. But the rest of Scripture accounts that one generation away, the people of God had moved away from that glorious truth contained in the Shema. It was something that in one generation they had fallen away from. Part of the reason I'm excited for the Summer in the Psalms series is because we're going to be looking at life and and saying, what are the modern problems that we face and, and how is it that we can look to the Psalms for the ancient solution that God provides for us as his people? I think it's going to be a wonderful series, but I think that in the midst of that, we have to acknowledge the sober warnings that come along with these wonderful solutions that God has for us as his people. Psalm 78 includes them. In in fact, in spite of God's mighty acts, in the same way that we look at with the Shema in Deuteronomy, that the protection and provision and the compassion and mercy that God shows to his people, Israel continued to rebel and doubt those promises of God. Oftentimes, within one generation. But there was a recurring pattern that begins to see throughout Scripture. God acts on behalf of his people. His people turn from him. God restores them through repentance. See, when we recognize those types of patterns, we should learn ourselves from Israel's failures. We should see how it is that God helps us as his people when we turn back to him in repentance. And we should tell others about those moments as well. You know, at Mother's Day, I referenced the, moody, the movie, excuse me, Hook, and the namesake villain being called a mean old man without a mommy. You know, in that film, we see an all-too-common example of a father who spends too much time working to provide for his family that he loses sight of his family altogether. See, in Israel's pattern... We can see that pattern in our own lives as well. And, and this goes beyond just what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and, and loses his soul. This, this actually goes right into your household, into your living room, to your kitchen table. And it says, are, are you working so hard for other things that, that what you are called to, what is right in front of you in your home, you're losing sight of? Are you gaining things vocationally And moving away from your family, your relationships with others. You know, the family in in that movie Hook is depicted as well off financially, but the kids are starving. Not for food, not for things. They're starving for their father's presence and attention. And that causes constant conflict with his family. Not just in their schedule. But you see, the enemy in that movie, Captain Hook... He uses Peter's lack of presence in his son's life to turn him against Peter. 
You know, we have a real enemy that's not Captain Hook that wants to use your lack of presence, dads, in your home as a way to turn your children against the things of God. Let's, let's look at it this way. There, there may be this innate fear in us that says, I don't want my children to turn against me. You know, I have a greater fear than my kids turning against me. My kids turning against God is a greater fear for me. I want to fear God more than I fear my children. Church, there's a call for us in the midst of that. Let, let's come alongside one another in those moments. You know, in the same way that at Mother's Day we were looking at how the world tries to almost cosplay womanhood now. Treat it as if it's just some kind of uniform that can be switched out and put on in different ways. It's grotesque. Have you noticed how the world downplays dads as idiots? Have you seen a wise dad in any type of media lately? Have you seen a dad that is anything other than just for something that is needed in the moment or a convenient means to an end? I haven't. Now, I don't consume everything in media. Please understand I'm speaking in generalities. But men, we are called to be so much more than lovable oaks who are a convenient means to an end for our family. You are called to lead your family in the way everlasting. Get to it, gentlemen. And here's the temptation for us today. To think, good Chris, you're talking to these young dads. They need this. Well, if you're an old dad here, you do too. Because you never lose that title. You never lose this responsibility. Have your kids walked away, turned away, run away, cut you off? You never lose this responsibility. So whether you're here today and you're in a season of life similar to myself, feeling 56 at 46, or you're here today and your children have all moved out and you're beginning to see the fruit of your fatherhood through generations, what a joy and a delight. But your responsibility has not changed. See, I'm not exhorting you from the movie Hook, I'm exhorting you from God's word. This is what his word tells us to do. Be present in your family. I'm not saying be there. I'm not saying be a person taking up space, a body seated at the table. I'm saying be engaged with what's going on at the table. I, I go so far as to say lead that. Lead that discussion. Be present to warn against sin. Not just the actions not just the, the moral things, not just the things that you say, you know what, I'd like you to stop that because if that happens in public, that's going to be embarrassing. No, I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about those attitudes and reactions. Those things where you realize, that looks familiar. Where have I seen that before? The mirror, that's where it was. Let me warn you about that. So many conversations with my boys over the years have started this way. Can I save you a few years of trouble? 
I've seen that reaction. I've perfected that reaction. That reaction is unhelpful. But the attitude behind that, what's going on in your heart, that's sinful. Those are difficult conversations to have. But they lead to something far greater than not being embarrassed in public. They lead to life for your children. Be present. Be engaged. Be one who is warning against sin, even as we see in this psalm today. You know, there's a negative lesson that we see here that that history could be repeated in the lives of those who listen but don't take heed to the words being said. There's actually a positive lesson, though, that believers who hear this message, take it to heart, they don't harden their hearts, they don't close off their ears to hear this message, that there's actually blessing that can come from that. So be present so that your family doesn't just know the truth about who God is, but they trust Him from their very heart. You know, I don't always know what God's up to. Oftentimes I'll tell my family, I know that God is up to something. I just look forward to him showing me what it is. What is that? That's a statement of trust. I don't trust my own understanding in that moment. I don't trust in anything other than this. I know who God is. So we're going to trust him. Those are difficult moments. I know the times where we've had talks about budget and we're going we're gonna to make some changes because we just need to cut back in different things or, or there's a season of life that we're walking in and I know the inquisitive look on my children's face. I don't like that look. I want to be able to help them in any way that I can. I want to be able to be one that's a comfort to them. But more than that, I need to help them understand what it looks like to live a life that is reliant on the God that who can be depended on every time. So in those moments where I am faced with my own finiteness, I have to lean on the infant one who loves my children more than I ever could. Dads, that's our role. That's our responsibility. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, it can be a joy. It can be a joy to live in this way. You know, You can't model a life of change and obedience without being changed and obedient yourself. Don't just talk a good game about the things of God. Don't have a lot of head knowledge about the things of God. Grow in that to be sure. But grow in what it looks like to trust and obey. If you're not there, you're certainly not able to model this. If you're not even present when you're there, you can't model this either. But see, the psalmist has something far greater than your kitchen table or the calmness or chaos of your household in mind. He has the enduring word of the Lord in mind when he says to teach the generations, to to keep God's commandments faithfully. You know, the end goal for our generation is the same as the generations that have gone before us. It's the same end goal for those that will come behind us. It's not just to survive this world. It's not just to barely make it out alive. No, the end goal of all of this is that they would thrive spiritually. That's at the very heart of God. We want them to run into the world with the gospel. 
ready to use whatever gifts, experiences, education, resources, anything else that God entrusts to them. But more than anything, we want them to spend it all for the glory of God. We, we want to see the generations to come to expend it all for the glory of God. And you know what? I can't expect that of the generations to come if I'm not willing to live that way myself. So, praise God we have a multi-generational church. I'm grateful for that diversity represented here. Can we model for each other what it looks like to spend it all for the glory of God? So that at the end of the day, our perfect heavenly Father will be the one who alone receives all the praise and all the glory. Church, let's stand together and sing.